Okay, church, well, today we're taking a break from the book of James, and we're going to focus more on our liturgy as a whole, as you've seen, and we're going to consider more carefully how we enter into worship each and every Lord's Day. It's my hope that by giving some commentary, as I and Pastor Joe have on the specific aspects of our liturgy, and by giving a more abbreviated message focused more specifically on worship, that we'll all come away with a renewed appreciation for the model of worship that we engage in here at Emmaus each and every Lord's Day. And so the New Testament reading, again, is 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. The Old Testament reading in our sermon text today will be Psalm 100. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 in Psalm 100. Hear now the reading of God's most holy word. But you are a chosen race. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Moving now to the Old Testament reading and again our sermon text. Psalm 100. Here again, the reading of God's most holy word. Title of this psalm is His Steadfast Love Endures Forever, a Psalm for Giving Thanks. Verse 1 Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture enter his gates with thanksgiving. And his courts with praise give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness. May your words go forward now, Father. May we pay careful attention to what your Word says to us, Lord. Convict our hearts, open our eyes, Lord. May we be your people, Father, as we come in this place on this Lord's Day and we worship you in these various aspects, Lord. Thank you for all things. It's the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Church, again, the message today is rather short and simple. However, do not be deceived by its simplicity, for its contents are rather profound. As you've seen, one of the main things that we're doing today is slowing down our liturgy to look a little bit more carefully at each aspect of our worship service in its totality. Each part of our liturgy serves a very specific purpose as we approach the Lord through the various means of worship. As we come now to the main portion of the worship service, the preaching of God's word, Psalm 100 serves as a perfect section of scripture in displaying how we should approach God through worship. So we'll use one Psalm uh, Psalm 100 to lead us in better understanding and engaging in worship week by week as we study its contents today. The overall theme of Psalm 100 is the congregation being summoned to worship God. It's a very popular psalm. It's sometimes referred to by theologians as Old Faithful, Psalm 100. More specifically, how we are to come before God in his temple for the purpose of offering thanksgivings and praise. In Psalm 100, we see that God is not merely creator and ruler of the world. He is also the founder, guardian, Lord, and shepherd of his church. His people are called to recognize this truth and respond to it through public worship, 
in order that the whole world may discover that this God, this God is the true and only God of the universe. The expressions found in Psalm 100 reflect the preceding enthronement psalms, which would make up Psalm 47, 93, and 95 through 99, where these psalms celebrated the Lord's rule over all creation. But here in Psalm 100, the psalmist exhorts the congregation to serve the Lord with gladness because he, God, is creator. And we are to enter his temple with much thanksgiving because he is good and he is faithful. Psalm 100 is rather unusual in its structure as the first four verses are essentially imperative calls for us to praise God. Where seven specific calls are given in total. And the closing fifth verse then provides the formal basis for why such praises are in fact merited. Listen again to each of these seven praises in verses 1 through 4 as I highlight them. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Let's look a little more carefully at each of these very simple yet very direct commands given by this psalm as they pertain to the worshiping of our great God. Verse 1 tells us to make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. As we come to worship God each and every Lord's Day, we are commanded to lift up our voices to the Lord in worship. The sounds of the saints singing and reading together the praises of God are a joyful noise indeed. In fact, we've done much of that already in today's worship service. Notice that it's not just Israel, however, that's being commanded to make a joyful noise to the Lord, but instead all the earth, all the earth. This is because, as we have seen many times before, Christ is in the midst of this psalm. There's a prophetic tone going on as Christ's true church would spread throughout the entire earth. And so this psalm was looking forward in part to this very day where we Gentile believers in Christ's true church on the other side of the earth would join together with this psalmist in praising the God of the universe. What a profound thing that it is to think of that. Sometimes, church, I I find myself reading scripture more and more, thinking about these things, not in an objective way, but as these things are being talked about the church, that we are a part of that. This is speaking of us, even today. Not in an egocentric way, but to see the amazing, far-reaching span of God's true church is an amazing thing, amazing thing. And I, I see it more and more in the scriptures when you read things like the Psalms and Christ and the church being at the core of that because Christ is at the core of it. Moving on, the idea behind making a joyful noise to the Lord is what we ought not, uh, is that we ought not be restrained in the bringing of our praises, tithes, offerings, and attention to the Lord when we worship. We should bring all that we are, all that we have. Not a part of us, not a few minutes, Not an hour and a half so we can run away to go do other things. But we bring all that we are before the Lord on the Lord's day. And so, brothers and sisters, may we be very mindful and intentional in our singing, in our worshiping, in our offering, in our praising, in our hearing of the word each and every Lord's day. May we do that carefully. May we do that prayerfully. May we do that intentionally as we come before him, as verse 1 calls us to. 
Next, in the first part of verse 2, we are called to serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serving with gladness stands in contrast to serving with fear and rejoicing with trembling. In Psalm 211, Psalm 211, the people are told to, quote, serve the Lord with fear and to rejoice with trembling. For Psalm 2, after proceeding, following Psalm 1, serves as a warning to the nations that do not acknowledge God as the true king. But we, church, know the true king of this world. His name is Christ. And through him we are able to come before the throne of God to the true, to the true and heavenly Zion. Remember the words of Hebrews 12, 22 through 24, where I know I am more and more convinced, and I think Pastor Joe is more and more convinced that these are the words of Paul. But we will still say the author of Hebrews. This is where the author of Hebrews states this. 12, 22 through 24. Listen very carefully. But you, referring to the church, have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels and festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enthroned in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It's easy to forget, brothers and sisters, that as we gather here and we sing, the angels join with us. There's a spiritual reality that exists beyond this one, and it's so easy to get caught up in this life and to forget that that's what we're doing each Lord's Day. We are coming here, engaging in that worship, joining with the angels that have existed alongside God, that, that, that exist in the heavenly realm where our Savior, our Lord and Savior, in His resurrected body is sitting now, reigning and ruling from that throne. It's easy to forget. I know I do. We need to remember that. We need to remember that that's what we're engaging in each and every Lord's Day. Because in Christ's church, we come to this temple. We come to his temple with gladness, not with fear and trembling. This is because of Christ and what Christ accomplished for his people. It is therefore not a burden to worship the Lord. Instead, it is a tremendous, tremendous joy, blessing, and privilege. Let us be careful then to remember each Lord's Day, and in fact, every day, to serve our Lord with much gladness. In the second part of verse 2, we are called to come into his presence with singing. Coming into the presence of the Lord is not only a cause for great joy, we should express this joy through the biblically sound songs that we lift up to the Lord. That is what we do, church. We have come into the presence of the Lord. That is what we are engaging in. This is a holy thing. This is a holy time. Therefore, when we sing, these are songs that we are to sing to the Lord. This is a a means of worship. And I don't want to become too Pentecostal on this point, but the literal translation of singing here literally means to give joyful shouts to the Lord. No way around that interpretation. However, in its context, this does not mean that we all must start shouting at the Lord through worship. I hope that we wouldn't do that. Some of us have beautiful voices. I know I'm not one of them. I've sung for 20 years, and I feel like I'm just about as good as I am when I started. And there's some people who start singing, and the Lord has just gifted them. If the Lord has gifted you, brothers or sisters, use that. Bless the people, but not for them. 
Use that because God has given you that ability to praise his name. God has given you that ability to praise his name. But what this does mean is that we should all bring our full selves, body, mind, and souls into the worship process. We should be fully present, giving much effort to the worship that we engage in on the Lord's Day. Not passively, not half-heartedly, but giving our full selves to that process. And so, brothers and sisters, let us come into the presence of the Lord each and every Lord's Day with hearts prepared to worship and voices ready to sing praises to our great God, being fully present in our worship. Next, in verse 3, we are called to know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. I again want to read to you the New Testament passage from today that speaks directly to this point. You'll see some repetition today because I want to make sure some things are really driven home. One of them is this New Testament passage. We are told in 1 Peter 2, 9-10, through 10, that we are a chosen race. You, church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people. We were hopeless. There was no hope. But now we, we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Brothers and sisters, we are the people of God. Do not be ashamed in that. Stand boldly in that. You, being called by the sovereignty of the Lord into his kingdom, make up the people of God. There is no greater calling in this life than to know Christ as our Lord and Savior. Listen also to the words of Paul on this point as he gives further insight into the perspective that we're to take with this precious gift that we have that we call faith. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8-10. through 10. And again, I ask that you would listen carefully to God's word. Paul says this, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We're probably familiar with this verse. But look at the intensity that Paul has. We are to model this. Paul says everything else is garbage when it comes to knowing Christ. Everything. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul knew that the most important thing in this life was to know Christ and to know him more. He gave everything of himself to it. We see that in the scriptures clearly. I'm not saying all of us are called to be Paul, but we must learn from this. We really have to look at our priorities, for we live in a society that is battling over our priorities, battling for our minds, constantly finding things to distract us. And I'm absolutely convinced that the enemy's greatest work isn't that which looks like it's distracting us directly from the Lord, but just passively from the Lord. We must find everything in Christ. Because church, the truth is is that Christ is everything. Christ is everything. But we must actually know this truth and we must actually live this truth. The Hebrew word here used for know denotes an internal recognition and an external acknowledgement of this truth. 
We must know that at the core of who we are and at the foundation of our worship that Christ is Lord and that we are his redeemed people. Brothers and sisters, our faith is the most precious thing that we will ever possess in this life. May we continually be mindful each and every Lord's Day of the God that we serve. May our faith in Christ be the most important endeavor that we ever pursue each and every day of our lives. For we are the people of God. Therefore, verse 4 tells us to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. If you've been following along, you can see the liturgy that's laid out actually in Psalm 100. There's progression to it, just like our liturgy here at Emmaus. The psalm has a progression to it. This is kind of the so what. In light of what verses 1 through 3 have told us, we are now encouraged in the first point of verse 4 to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Have we done that today, brothers and sisters? I know I struggle to do that. It is hard to get your mind to be in a place that is completely thankful with much praise. I know the struggles I've had. I know the struggles that many of you have had. And there's a part of me that just says, it's okay if you're not thankful today. It's okay if you don't praise too much today. That is a tough place that you're in. But church, this is what we are called to do. We are to enter his courts with thanksgiving. We are to enter... His gates with praise. This exhortation is based on the essential goodness of the Lord. For the Lord is good, brothers and sisters. No matter what is going on, we have the ability to say that He is good. That is a hard thing. It's a hard thing. In all circumstances, to look and to say that He is good, that He is Lord. It is a hard thing to be obedient to James 1. Consider joy, brothers and sisters, when we face trials of various kinds. For we know that our faith is being tested. But his loving kindness is experienced by his people generation after generation as the Lord proves again and again and again that he is faithful. Because of what God has done for us, we ought to come into his presence with thanksgiving and with praise. And so the second part of verse 4 tells us to give thanks to him, to bless his name. The end of verse 4 commands us to give thanks to the Lord and to bless his name. This is what our worship of God is to be. Thankful hearts coming to bless the name of God. This is what our liturgy here at Emmaus aims to do each and every Lord's Day. For we must work hard to come into his presence. We must work hard, brothers and sisters, to come with thankful hearts. We must work hard to be ready and prepared to bless his name. But this is what Christ has called us to do as we worship him on his holy day. We are called to come to him prepared. Therefore, verse 5 concludes with a doctrinal statement that stands alone from all the other verses. Verses 1 through 4 are all these commands, these calls to the people. But then verse 5 stands alone, and it says this. It's kind of the foundation of, of all the previous four verses. For the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. The Lord is good, brothers and sisters. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness has continued ever since sin entered the world and man was without hope in the garden. Even from the foundation of the world, the Lord's faithfulness was established and Christ's plan was already in effect. God always had a plan of faithfulness for his people. The Lord is always faithful. He is always faithful. And this, 
This, this knowledge of God's faithfulness is to drive us to worship him each and every Lord's day. And so, with that being said, I say this to you. May we be faithful, brothers and sisters, to make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, to serve the Lord with gladness, to come into his presence with singing, to know that the Lord, he is God, and that we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. May we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise each and every Lord's day while we give thanks to him and bless his most holy name. May we do these things, church, every time that we assemble together. May our liturgy always be founded on worshiping our God through the ways that he has prescribed through his word. May we be faithful to always worship God with joy and gladness and reverence each and every Lord's day. And may our liturgy here at Emmaus always be focused on giving all the glory, honor, and praise to the God of all creation. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And so as we conclude, I just want to give you three quick points of reflective application. I think they're application. They're just kind of general thoughts that I had as I went through this as I kind of stood in awe of this passage. Point number one. All of the Psalms ultimately point towards Christ in the worship of his most holy name. Psalm 100 is just one of 150 other examples of Psalms that ultimately have Christ at their core. As we read through the Psalms, we must always see that Christ is at the center. In fact, we must read all of Scripture as seeing Christ is always being at the core. And this is not reading into the scriptures the wrong way. I know there were times where I thought, are we reading too much into God's word? But as I've come to conclude after years walking with the Lord, after being educated in, in God's word and studying these things more and more, it is so true that at the core of all of scripture is Christ. Every single word that you read through the pages of God's word, Christ is there. You just have to look for it. And that is very true in the Psalms. Christ is there. Christ is there in the midst. Brothers and sisters, Christ truly is the center of all things. Do not ever let that truth grow old or common to you. Not here, not on the Lord's day, but not anywhere. Not anywhere or anytime. Always work hard to stand in awe of the majesty, splendor, and wonder of Christ as he is revealed in the Holy Scriptures. Number two, point number two. We must be intentionally mindful of what we are doing when we worship the Lord each Lord's Day. I've had growing conviction for even myself of the passivity that sometimes can be there. You have a busy week, you have all these things going on and your mind is kind of flooded and you're kind of in and out of the songs, you're kind of in and out of the sermons. Sometimes their sermons can be a little long, little, little robust, a lot of meat in them. But we must work hard. We must train our minds. We must train our children's minds to be able to discipline ourselves as we come on the Lord's Day. We have to be intentional in this process. So let us work hard to not let the liturgy that we do here at Emmaus become mundane or, or ordinary to us. It's the reason for, one of the reasons for this message today. For every aspect of our worship service serves a very specific purpose. You just have to be mindful of it. Very, very intentional, very specific, every detail of it. Be mindful of this as you engage in worship each Lord's Day. Be sure to prepare your hearts as you come to worship the Lord. 
And you should come prepared too. Do you want to know, church, what you should come prepared to do? Let me say it to you one more time. You should come prepared to make a joyful noise to the Lord. To come prepared to serve the Lord with gladness. You should be prepared to come into his presence with singing. And you should know that the Lord, he is God. For it is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Let us be careful to enter his gates with thanksgiving and to come into his courts with praise. May we always give thanks to him and bless his most holy name. For, brothers and sisters, the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. Amen. Point number three. Point number three, going back to the New Testament verse of today. We, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Let us worship and serve our great God in this place and also all that we do. Brothers and sisters, if you're like me, I know I struggled with identity. It was one of the things the Lord had to do a lot of work in me. And I have found that that's something that many, many of God's people do. And if you are struggling with identity, who am I? What am I? What am I to do? What's my value? What's my worth? You are a royal priesthood. You're royalty. Royalty. Scripture says that you are of a royal priesthood. Brothers and sisters, again, we are the people of God. We are the people of God. May we never forget that above all else in this life, This is our highest calling. Higher than your work title, higher than anything that you will ever accomplish or ever achieve in this life, even higher than your role as a husband or wife or father or mother. These are at the top. The only one that supersedes it, the only one above it, is your calling as a child of God into the royal priesthood. For we are his people. He is our God. May our lives be lives that bring continual praises to our great God, not only when we worship him on the Lord's day, but in all that we do in this life. For he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. And so let us worship and serve our great God in this place and in all the things that we do. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the call that you give us to praise your most holy name. I pray, Father, that we take your word seriously. I pray that we are obedient to it. Help us, Lord. Help us meet us where we're at as we struggle, Lord, to be obedient to the call of your word. I pray that all that we do here at Emmaus is all to the glory, honor, and power of your most holy name, Father. May our lives, wherever we're at, Father, no matter what we do, no matter where we're at in the process, how old we are, working, retired, full-time jobs, part-time jobs, whatever it is, Lord, everything that we do, May Christ be at the center of it, for this is what you have called us to. For you are faithful, Father. In the name of Christ we pray. All God's people say.